Hello everyone and welcome to my very first unplugged episode of Kriya Sound. I'm very excited to get into the episode today. Thank you so much for everyone who was who joined me live last Friday. That just that energy which is so great and I'm so glad that I have a recording of that to be able to share with you in podcast form because it's definitely an episode that I want to share with everyone. So Thank you for all of you who joined me last Friday and if you're joining me now, thank you so much for listening. As you know, the title of this episode is called Deconstructing Body. I talk about my body image journey and healing my relationship to food, body image and movement as well. Having said that, before getting into the episode, I do want to give a trigger warning for this episode does cover topics of disordered eating, a diet is mentioned in the recording, and I also talk about body shame as well. So if those any of those things are triggering to you, please keep that in mind before listening to the episode. Secondly, I just want to take a moment to remind you all that if you are interested in supporting my work, please head on over to patreon.com slash that's C-R-I-A-C-A-O, and become a patron of my work. You can become a patron for as little as $1 an episode, which means you will only get charged $1 for each episode I produce every month. And if Patreon is a bit too complicated for you, I'm also happy to be supported through Cash App or Venmo if you're interested. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. first unplugged episode of Kriya Sound. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, <laughs> hi, Elizabeth. I got to give a really, really big shout out. Another shout out. I'm the queen of shout outs. Shout out to, you got to show gratitude. You know what I mean? Gratitude to uh, Hannah, Hannah Gray Chambers. Once again, Hannah was the one who, after my live reading with Art Spoken Madrid, was like, I really think you should do a live recording of your podcast. And Honestly, the vibe was so awesome last time. I loved talking to Charles. I loved uh, being able to see the reactions from the audience. And that motiv- motivated me to take Hannah's advice. And so thank you all for joining me today because this is hella organic. I have don't have anything planned except for the fact that I'm going to read you my poem and have a conversation with you all about, about body image. Body image is a really important topic to me. Um, an important topic for a lot of people. And I think it's coming up for a lot of us during this time, during the quarantine, um, which I'll get into after I read the poem. But for those of you who know me, I have my own body image journey. And I sometimes I feel like it can be inspiring to others to hear other people's body image journey and understand or have a clear understanding of what theirs is like now or could be. And I just want to be, you know, open and transparent and vulnerable with all you guys about my own journey and hopefully... I don't know, hopefully there's some strength in that for for all of us during this time. So um, yeah, I thank you again for joining me. After I have my poem and talk a little bit about my own story, I definitely want to have y'all join in on the conversation and ask me some questions. Ask me questions about my poem, about my story. 
about about anything. So thank you again. And um, just a little disclaimer that all my poems, of course, again, are my own poetry. And if you want to share my poem with someone else, feel free to share this live uh, recording. Please feel free to share my podcast with other people. And um, that's a really wonderful way to support my work and also to um, share my work with other people that you think it might touch. All right, so this poem I wrote, um, I forgot how long ago, I think I wrote about two years ago now, but the poem is called uh, Six Reasons I Stopped Hating My Body. So hopefully it resonates with, with you all. Six Reasons I Stopped Hating My Body. When they ask me, when Instagram, Facebook, and the media ask me, why did you stop hating your body? I say one. Was it not enough? 13 years of wishing I could pray sections of my body away, believing if I just despised them enough they would disappear, handing my 12-year-old body over to you, let you hide it beneath baggy clothes, hold it hostage between spandex fajas, make it become faint on ellipticals, injure itself sprinting on concrete, starve it until food was all it could think about, be make me wish for sickness because at least sickness would rid me of my appetite too. Was it not enough when capitalism asked me, why did you stop hating your body? It's as if weight loss and dieting aren't two of the most insidious and manipulative industries keeping women from addressing the real problem. Investing time and money in the science behind how to make ourselves stand out yet exist less fooling us into believing that as women we are only our bodies, as if a number on a scale could possibly understand the weight of our existence or the steps on your smartwatch could calculate your self-worth, that being thin is equal to being healthy are our minds not part of our health too. Three. When my family asks me, ¿Por qué? Estás más llenita. Why have you gained weight? Why have you lost weight? Why do you look too skinny, too fat, and wonder why I look at them with a who the fuck asked you? It's as if my body hasn't been picked apart by comments since before blood first dripped between my legs, before I was a real woman, as if the restless anticipation for what my body could become could look like, what it could be used for, took priority over the fact that I was still only a child and how tragic it is that now I can barely remember what it was that once moved me, once fulfilled me, what it was that I once cared so much about before all that mattered was what my body looked like for. When I ask myself why I stopped hating my own body, I remember this. I remember days when food was not sustenance, not comfort, not a conduit for connecting with my community, with my cultura, not joy. I remember when my body was not the intelligent, resilient thing that it is, but just a vehicle for this mind that hated it, that minimized its entire existence to the shape of its belly, believing that that alone was enough to question the entirety of my being, to question whether or not I was worthy of love. Five. When my loved ones ask me, how did you stop hating your body? How do I stop hating mine too? I tell them this, my loves. You are so much more than your body. Your body, 
that will change in ways you do not want, in ways you are not prepared for. Yes, it may re be rebellious, but it's what fights to keep you here right now, every day, allows you to love and experience laughter despite the wars you've waged against it. I ask them, who? Would you be if you stop believing in this lie that your outline is what defines you? Stop believing in this story that only serves to distract you from what truly matters. I ask them, can you respect your body, care for it, appreciate it, even if it feels impossible to love it? Try to listen to it. Remember what it used to tell you before you were taught to distrust it, to shut it up. Do not I tell them, do not fill your life with this hollow craving, this empty wish for the contradictory ability to breathe in this lovely, delightful, beautiful life, yet somehow take up less space. Your body was meant to breathe, my dears. Let your life expand. Woo! <laughs> Oh my goodness. I'm gonna take a moment for that. Oh gosh. Thank you. <laughs> so that was my poem. <laughs> sex, six, whoa, <laughs> not sex. Six reasons I stopped hating my body. I wrote this poem because it it was such, you know, I when I think back to my to my body image journey, I don't know about you all, but in the poem I reference how it started as young as 12 years old. Actually, Maya, Maya's watching right now. Um, Maya was there, I think, right around the beginning of it. It was only in middle school. And in middle school, you know, I don't know what it is. Like, I try to think back of when, you know, when was the moment that I started to think about my body in the way that I did, in the negative way, in the negative light that I did. And um, I have a few theories as to where it started. But I know that I started to think about it heavily when I was around 12 years old and I was in seventh grade. I mean, it could be puberty, it could be, you know, hormones and all those things going on. But when I was 12 is when I started to think about this idea of not being thin enough and this idea of uh, my body is not okay the way that it is. I mean, just imagine I'm currently 26 years old, right? I'm 26 and to be as young as 12 and already start thinking about how you're not, how your body is just this important thing. And specifically as women, right? Like as cisgendered women, we're told and taught that our body is the most important thing about us, that it is through our body that we are seen first. And therefore that is the most important thing. That's the thing we have to take care of the most. You know what I mean? Um, I also, I forgot to say this before, but I also want to sort of highlight the fact that this is the story, my story and my body image story and my poem is is my personal poem or my personal lived experience. I do not mean to say that this is a lived experience that everyone experiences, especially because um, intersectionality is so important, right? Like my lived experience with body image has everything to do with the fact that I am a cisgendered woman, that I um, am a white Latina, right? That I come from the culture and the background that I do. All of this influences how I experience or how my body body image journey has come to be but nonetheless there are a lot of sort of similar values or similar there are similar things that we feel from the pressures of society 
uh, through patriarchy, through sexism and all these things that cause us to feel the way that we do about our bodies, albeit for different reasons and in different ways, but nonetheless affecting us, you know, really heavily. So it started as young as 12 years old for me. And I just remember thinking, you know, like I just, I mean, let me start, let me start from let me uh, Tarantino it, which is where I start from the end <laughs> and I go back into the beginning, which is uh, I was 24 years old. I was living in Madrid at the time. I lived with these two Spanish roommates who, God, I just couldn't, couldn't deal with them. Anyways, that's another story. But I had just finished doing something called the keto diet. Trigger warning. Don't, I don't recommend you look it up. Don't look it up. I tried it for like three days and it made me sick. Literally, it was... Uh, eating a bunch of fats, whatever. I'm not trying to judge a diet, like whatever. Don't need to go into it. But anyways, it made me sick. I had diarrhea, <laughs> TMI, but I had diarrhea. And I was like, my stomach felt awful. I was just like, oh my God, what's going on? And this keto diet was probably like, I, you know, you lose track. You lose track of how many diets you try. And you lose track of how many Mondays you wake up saying, this is the week. You lose track of how many Mondays you wake up saying, this is the day. This is the day when I finally, quote unquote, get my act together and start start going on this diet, right? So mind you, the keto diet was, I don't know what diet number diet was from my decade, 13 years of life, trying so many different diets, right? And I woke up and around this time in Madrid, I was starting to deal with mindfulness, right? Like trying to be present, trying to let things go, trying to not take things so personally, trying to love myself, trying to engage in self-care. And I feel like I had managed to do that in Madrid in so many other ways. Like I had managed to um, be easy. A lot of, you know, I talk about this all the time, but I was able to rest and I was able to find balance with work and be able to enjoy myself, you know, in Madrid. And the one thing, that I was not doing was loving or accepting my body. It was like, how can I be so mindful about everything else, but I shit on my body every day. I literally hate on it. As soon as I wake up and I looked in the mirror, it was like, you know, negative thought, negative thought, berating myself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so one morning in Madrid, I woke up uh, after feeling sh- like shit from the keto diet. I looked at myself in the mirror and I started the regular routine of look at all the things that are wrong with me. Look at, you know, my main problem area, problem area was my stomach. Everything else, it's so interesting too, just like how it's different for everyone. For me, it was my lower abdomen. That's it. Everything else, I was like, I'm chilling. This is cool. But for some reason, just the shape of my lower abdomen, I was like, I can't stand it. I don't, I just, this needs to change, right? So I started the morning routine of looking myself in the mirror, looking at that specific problem area and saying, this is not okay, this needs to change, you know, et cetera. And then I kid you not, it kind of hit me like a sack of bricks. Um, It just kind of fell on my head. And I had this flashback, but flash forward, like a flash forward to the future. And this is the exact phrase that came to mind. I said, Genesis? Are you really going to be that woman who goes to the cheesecake factory and orders a fucking salad when she really wants the goddamn carbonara pasta? (laughs) And I was like, I don't want to be that. I don't want to. Am I really 
gonna be not choosing the pasta because I need to be choosing the salad. Oh no, don't give me the the bread at ch the Cheesecake Factory. The brown bread, the, the honey bread with the oats on top. That shit is bomb. And I was like, am I really gonna be the person who's like, nah, no, nah, I don't need the bread. I'm gonna actually, you know what? I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna eat before I go to the Cheesecake Factory so that I don't eat <laughs> at the Cheesecake Factory. I was like, I don't, I don't wanna be, I don't, I just, it wasn't that I don't want to be that person because I don't, there's judgment towards that person. It's not, that's not what I mean. I just mean, I didn't want to continue feeling that way my whole life. I just thought about the fact that I'm like, am I really going to be 50 years old still worrying about every single bite of food I put in my body? I've already done this for 13 years of my life. How many more decades am I going to feel the way that I do right now? And that's, that's when it clicked. That's when I was like, I need to do something. I, I don't know what I need to do, but I need to do something about it. And it needs to not be this because I can't exactly bow. It's exhausting. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And that's what started. That's what started my journey of trying to finally look within myself and be like, okay, let me get to the bottom of this. So, and I have to give another shout out because gratitude, right? To, to our community. We can't do this alone. This journey is not something you do alone. So I am an avid podcast listener, hence why I created a podcast, but I'm an avid podcast listener and I was listening to a lot of like, you know, kind of Buddhist philosophy, mindfulness stuff. And I was like, there has to be a podcast out there that talks about this, that helps me kind of deal with whatever it is that I'm going through. And I came across this very important podcast. And if any of you are struggling with this or are just interested, I 110% recommend this podcast. The podcast is called Food Psych. Um, and the host of the, of the podcast is called Christy Harrison. Her name is Christy Harrison. My English is all terrible. Um, and on this podcast, I just remember listening to the first episode and it was like, oh my God, I am not alone. Like the feeling that I feel every day of just judging myself for everything that I eat, feeling as though like I just always feeling guilt after I eat anything at all. I was like, oh, I'm not the only person who feels this way. Because I honestly thought, I was like, does anybody else think about food as much as I do? Does anyone else feel as guilty about what they're eating as I do? Am I the only one who literally every meal is worried about what it contains and how it's going, you know, how many calories it has and whatever. Cause what, cause what happened or during that time, it was like, when I ate, the question was, is this going to help me lose weight or not? That was always the question. And if the question was no, then I should, then I should feel guilt about it. I need to, if it wasn't contributing to this final goal of losing weight, then I can't, then I can't eat it, you know, then I shouldn't eat it. And so then I found this podcast and it just, I felt so seen because I was like, I'm not the only one who feels this way. And one of the most important like things or terms that I learned was the, this idea of dis of uh, disordered eating. So a lot of people, you know, think of, well, I don't have an eating disorder. I haven't been diagnosed with an eating disorder, like a, you know, one by a doctor. Therefore, like, I don't know, this is normal. What I'm experiencing and what I'm feeling, this obsession with, you know, what do I how much do how much am I eating and all that stuff is normal, but it's not. It's actually disordered eating. And I don't remember what the statistic was, but it's like every like almost all women, uh, mainly women, but people in general experience disordered eating. 
which is they don't have a normal relationship to food. It's just this, it's a, it's a unhealthy relationship in the sense that not just unhealthy in terms of the biological sense, but unhealthy in how you relate to it. That feeling of always feeling guilty every time I put something in my mouth, like that is an unhealthy relationship to food because food is an inanimate object. It, food does not have a moral value. We give food the moral value, you know, like think about the way that we talk about like chocolate, you know, there's like sinful chocolate or your guilty pleasure or like your your cheat day, right? Like these are things that, these are terminology that we use on a daily basis and it g gives this value to food when food itself doesn't have any value, you know, I mean, have any moral, moral value. So anyways, I found this podcast, Food Psych, and I just, oh my gosh, it was just a breath of fresh air. I was like, okay, like I'm not the only one who feels this way. And the other thing that happened when listening to this podcast was it introduced me to this idea of diet culture. It introduced me to this idea that we exist in a society that values people based on their body size. And one of the ways it keeps functioning is through this myth that size is equated to health. And that's not true. You know what I mean? People of all body sizes are of varying, you know, health. And one of the one of the things that really blew my mind in the podcast was one of the guests on the podcast said, nobody owes you their health. Nobody owes you their health. Meaning you might say, well, aren't you worried about your kids and, you know, or whatever? Like, again, the assumption that you being a certain size means you're unhealthy, which is not true. But to say, you know, you should really be looking out for yourself, quote unquote. And it's like, they don't owe you that. You know, they don't owe you their health. Like first, first of all, to be able to properly take care of your health, whatever that means, which looks differently for everybody, just like a, a certain a certain food affects, just like some people have allergies and people don't, right? The way you relate what you eat and what you consume affects everybody differently, right? So you not like people not owing you their health means that it's just like it's not your business. Like it's 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 a privilege to be able to take care of your health properly, right? You know, why aren't you walking more? Well, probably because people are working full-time jobs and have kids to feed, right? Like buy I mean the whole issue of accessibility is a whole other thing. Um being able to buy organically or whatever and being able to why are fruits and vegetables more expensive than a burger at McDonald's, right? Anyways, I digress. What I'm trying to say is that the idea of diet culture really stuck with me because as someone who considers themselves an, an activist and someone who cares about uh, addressing oppression, all sorts of oppression, I started to realize that there is oppression against bigger body people. Um, big people in bigger bodies um, don't get the same quality healthcare. I mean, I can't, I'm not a statistic rule book, but I mean, there's, there are research, there's research about this, but I mean, just think about the stigmas that are associated with people in bigger bodies. Anyways, I don't, this isn't meant to be a preaching session, but um, just in my personal experience, being able to understand the ways in which I perpetuated a stigma against anybody else because of the shape of their body, it made me feel like, I don't, how can I call myself an activist if I'm perpetuating these negative thoughts about people because of their size? And so I, that was kind of where it started for me. Like it actually started by caring about other people first. And usually it's, you know, it's easier to address like the outside first before you address the inside. But I started to be like, you know what? I'm not, I'm going, and, and I'm completely guilty 
I'm completely guilty of this. Completely. You know, my oldest brother is a, is a person in a bigger body. And I, even as young as 12, the amount of shame that there was against him and assuming that his health was a certain way because of the way that his body is and, and equating size with productivity, that your size is a marker of how much you do. You know, like, it's just... Anyways, um, I'm extremely guilty of that. And when I started listening to the podcast, I was like, I can't believe that I have participated in shaming my own family member because of the shape of his body, right? And that's where it started for me. And when I stopped doing it, oh my, it was so hard. You know how many times you can't have a conversation with people without... It's better now. I think it's better now. But when I first started this journey, you could not have a conversation with anybody without someone being like, I shouldn't be eating this. Or I'm going to skip dessert. Or, um, oh, like I remember eating dinner with um, some colleagues when I was in Portugal and I was observing because that's what, I mean, that's what happens. Like when you start learning about racism, you start seeing shit everywhere, right? So then I started learning about diet culture and I started seeing it everywhere. And I was having dinner with my colleagues in Portugal and I was just observing. I was just kind of like, okay, let's see. Let's see how it goes. And we were so, we were so close. We were so close. We had talked about everything else. And then dessert came. The waiter came around. Oh, you know, what do you guys want for dessert? Where do you, where do you all want for dessert? And um, we all went. I, I ordered some delicious ass chocolate, something or other. Everyone else ordered whatever they wanted. And then one of our colleagues ordered a mango as a fruit. Total vibe, awesome option as well uh, for, for, for a dessert, of course. No judgment, right? But then one of our other colleagues was like, oh, like, you're being the good one by ordering the, the mango, right? Like, oh, do you think you're better than us because you ordered something healthy? Oh, the health, you're so healthy. You know what I mean? And it was like, oh, we were so close. <laughs> we were going to have dessert and it was going to be fine. And we were going to talk about shaming other people for their food choices or, or shaming yourself for your own food choice, right? Anyways, it was really hard. It was really hard. And a lot of people, when I started, you know, it was so uncomfortable. It comes up all the time and people were like, I don't know, like even in my past job, I would bring in donuts because your girl loves donuts because donuts, <laughs> donuts are amazing. But I would bring in donuts and there would be comments such as, oh, who brought donuts? Like upset that I, that anyone had brought donuts because of the temptation, because we shouldn't be eating donuts because of all these things. And when I would say I brought the donuts and someone's like, why did you bring the donuts? I said, because they're delicious because food is good and donuts are awesome. You know what I mean? And that is my way of trying to indirectly say something that I think is really important, which is that food is not just for nutrition. I, I mean, and this is... <laughs> Chris, oh my God, Daily Provisions. If any of you live in New York, does Daily Provisions deliver Chris? Because if they did, I'd be on that. Um, best donut, one of the best donuts I've ever had. Anyways, uh, donuts, donuts, donuts are delicious. Okay, yeah, me saying like, I brought in the donuts because they are pleasurable is getting to, getting to the idea that food is not just for nutrition, right? We eat food because yes, to survive, but 
we are no longer hunter-gatherers people trying to just survive on a daily basis. Our most, I mean, my most recent ancestor, which is the Mayan people, we ate as a form of celebration. We feasted to connect with other people. We feasted to celebrate, to be social, right? Like food isn't just meant to to eat to for nutritional value nowadays. I, I will not argue with anybody who's like eating processed food isn't good for you, blah, blah, blah. No, I get that. It's not quote unquote good for you, but we don't just eat processed food for the nutrition. We eat processed food because of the emotional value, because of the social value, right? Think about like if your grandma used to make, I don't know, a really dope ass apple pie. It's like, yeah, sure, you could argue about the quote unquote nutritional value of apple pie, but the emotional value is huge. This is the pie that reminds you of your grandma. And that is also very important. Getting together for a birthday party and having cake. There are memories there. There are people there that are that are meaningful to you. People gather around food. So anyways, it was really hard at first to like talk about it. And I have to, like I said, this journey, this journey isn't, you can't do this journey alone. And I have to really, you know, thank the people who are, who are supporting me during this journey. And um, one of the first people is my partner during that time he had said to me he was like genesis he was actually the poem that says uh, in the poem it says uh your body will change in ways you do not want in ways you are not prepared for that is a sort of foreshadowing to first of all or highlighting of ageism right the idea that only that being young is better that being young is more beautiful that being young is more important right just we our bodies will change when you know how how devastating and tragic it is that a woman who is pregnant or a person who is pregnant and has a child that there is this urgency to quote unquote get back to your original body which is like i understand that i'm not a mother so i also i'm also not trying to speak from their experience so please forgive me if i'm offending anyone but i just want to point to the fact that you literally had a child inside of you and your body changed because of that beautiful, wondrous thing that it can do. And there's shaming around that experience that you had and how awful it is that there's shame around that when it's actually, you know, it, you know what I mean? So, uh, so anyways, my partner during that time had said, your body is going to change. Like assuming we're together forever, your body's going to change. And that is not why I love you, right? That's not the reason that I love you. I love you for you. And I am compassionate and understanding of the fact that with time, our bodies are going to change in ways we don't know. You know, people are, you lose your hair, you, uh, you know, whatever. (laughs) But, and it's not uh, to romanticize this idea of like, oh, I'm going to love you forever, no matter how you look. But it's simply just to be realistic about the fact, you know, to, to practice impermanence that our, our, the, you know, when we're in our twenties, we're like, this is what my body's going to look like always. And it's like, no, (laughs) and it's scary to think about, but it's the truth. And the more that we can start accepting that this is how, that our bodies do change, right? Then there can be more body acceptance towards what we're experiencing right now, you know? So that was extremely helpful for me. That was so pivotal in my journey for me to hear. And then my, one of my best friends, Ceci, she was also another huge person in this journey because Ceci was actually the first person I told about my journey. 
I was so afraid to tell people because I, I started testing. I started saying like anti-diet comments in my conversations with people. And it was, you know, you would just see where it lands. You see, okay, are people receptive to this? Are people thinking that I'm quote unquote promoting obesity, which is not true. Um, that's a whole other story. And I told Ceci and Ceci heard me and Ceci understood I don't know why or how it was her own journey, but she understood. And then we just made a promise to each other that we were going to do this together, that we would, I would reach out if I was having diet culture thoughts, such as feeling guilty after eating something or wanting to punish myself for eating chocolate cake and having to go run three miles. If I was having any of those thoughts that I would reach out to her and I would just say, Hey, I'm having these thoughts right now. And we would be that support. So we did that for a while. And that support was just so, I, it's so invaluable. It's so invaluable to have that person who's there with you in the fight. You know what I mean? And I can't, I can't tell y'all how crazy it is. Every now and then, so it's been three years, three years since I started my journey of, of finding body acceptance. And I also want to differentiate the difference between body acceptance and body love which is what the end of my poem is trying to address, is we have spent so much time hating on our bodies, it's like impossible to think that all of a sudden to the next day you're supposed to love what it looks like. It's just like you that you can't do that, right? So in at the end of my poem, I say, if you can't, if it seems impossible to love your body, can you respect it? Can you respect that this is the body you wake up in every day? That it's the thing that allows you to do the things you do love. That is... The thing that allows you to experience joy and laughter and all of these things and be able to be with people. all of, So we often think like, oh, I've, I've accomplished all these things or I haven't accomplished all these things, but I've accomplished all these things. I've gone to college. I have a partner. I got married. I bought a house, blah, blah, blah. You did all of those things in the body you currently have, right? Or in the body that you have. And being able to be like, thank you. Thank you for for being on this journey with me because I experienced the world through this body that I have, right? So it's been three years and I can't tell you, I sit back and I think about where I was before and it baffles me that I was in so much pain. And it baffles me that so much of my brain space was dedicated to that, that I'm telling you, 80% of my brain space was dedicated to trying to lose weight, trying to do a new diet, feeling guilty about what I ate. And on the podcast, I remember it said, it was just like, just imagine what you could do with that brain space. That's a very like capitalist productive thought, but still it's interesting to entertain. It's like, what could you be doing with all that energy that you're dedicating to hating on yourself and to not accepting yourself? And I kid you not, I am positive that my creativity flourished once I stopped uh, engaging in diet culture. I know it for a fact. I started to pay attention to other things, literally, like poetry, this podcast, whatever. Literally, I don't even know anymore, you know? And I can't believe I'm here. I was so, it was just so, ah, insidious. I never thought I was going to get out. In high school, I wore fajas every day uh, because I didn't feel that I could wear anything without one. And I literally was like, am I always gonna, is this always gonna be my lived experience? Is this always gonna be me? And I, 
I couldn't see it. I couldn't see the other side. I was like, this is just what life is. This is just what being a woman is. This is just what I have to do, right? And and there was also the story of the reason my body is like this. This is one of the most powerful tools of diet culture is that the reason why you don't have the quote unquote dream body that you have, whatever that is for you, the reason you don't have it is because of your lack of willpower. It's because you didn't try hard enough. It's because you didn't dedicate enough hours. It's because you don't, you're not uh, disciplined enough. And for a perfectionist like me, oh, that narrative really gets you in the gut. You're like, no, I'm going to prove you wrong. You're like, no, I got this. I'm, I'm going to, this time I'm going to do it. That's why every Monday morning, this was the Monday, this was the Monday that I was going to finally get my shit together and diet and do whatever, right? It is such a, for a perfectionist like me, it's so, so, it just really hits below the belt. You know what I mean? And that's the thing. Our bodies, why is it that we can accept diverse heights? No one's asking me to grow another foot. Let me tell you that. No one's asking me to, no one's asking me to grow my knee caps <laughs> so that I can be a foot taller. Your girl's only five feet tall. We can accept a diversity of heights, but we cannot accept the diversity of sizes in other ways, right? No one's asking me to do that. I was never going to be tall. My mother's 5'2", and my dad's like 5'5", five, five, if he's lucky, right? Um, I was never going to be tall. And our genetics are different, just like the color of our hair is different, the texture of our hair, or the color of our eyes, right? Diversity of bodies is real. And yeah, so I just, I never thought I was going to get out of it. But I, I look back and I'm like, oh my God, thank goodness. Thank goodness for that podcast. Thank goodness for my community. And a lot of people ask me like, well, how did you do it, right? Because, you know, it's easy to sit here and mentally tell yourself like, don't think badly about yourself. Don't think badly about yourself. And I want to recognize that a mindset shift is sometimes not enough or it feels like it's not enough. And you're like, okay, Genesis, well, I'm not hating my body or I'm, I'm telling myself not to hate my body, but nothing's happening. And I get that. Um, and I want to recognize that it clicks differently for everyone and your journey looks different than anybody else's. It's not linear. It's not, you know, I sometimes have diet culture. I have diet culture thoughts still. It's not like I'm completely undone of these diet culture thoughts. One, one of the things that really helped, at least for me, which may not work for other people, but when I decided that I was going to start accepting my body, I literally quit dieting. So what did that look like for me? I had to tell myself, and this is scary. This was so scary for me at first. I had to tell myself, you can eat whatever you want. You can eat whatever you want. And I said, and if you gain weight, because that was my fear, the fear of gaining weight, fat phobia, the fear of being fat, it is a real thing and it's a the message of diet culture, right? One of the messages of diet culture. And I said, and it's okay if you gain weight. It is okay. You are still loved and it is okay. It is not the end of the world if you gain weight. It is not the end of the world. And so that summer, it was a summer summer of 2017. I quit dieting. I was working for a summer program that I hated in New York for three weeks. Um, and I stopped dieting. And what that meant was I told myself I could eat whatever I wanted. So your girl, I have such a sweet tooth. So I was eating Snickers and Pop-Tarts and M&Ms and you name it. And each time I had to tell myself, it, you, it's okay. It is okay. 
Yes, you can have the milkshake with the french fries and the M&Ms. You can do it. It is okay, right? You can have whatever you want. And the thing is, is there's fear because you think you'll let yourself go. That there's this an idea of, I'm going to let myself go. But here's the thing. Diet culture and your relationship to food and your body and stuff like that is a pendulum. You know, imagine a pendulum you've restricted for so long. Imagine I restricted myself from eating sugar. That was like my main thing was like, I eat too much sugar and that's why I don't have the body that I want, whatever. I restricted myself from eating sugar as I felt as I that I wanted for so long, for 13 years to be exact, right? 12 or 13 years. That yes, when you let the pendulum go, you stop restricting, it goes all the way to the other side, right? That's how a pendulum works. And so... Yeah, I was going ham. I was like, yes, cookies, da, da, da. And again, telling myself every time, you can eat this, it's okay. And if you gain weight, it's also okay. It's fine. And with time, what happened was the pendulum made its way back to the middle. And this is the craziest part, y'all, that I didn't think, I heard this and I was like, that's not true. I was like, the reason why I binge eat cookies is not because I restrict them. It is true. That is exactly why it happens. It's like reverse psychology. You tell someone not to touch the stove and you want to touch the stove, right? So you tell yourself, you can't have sugar. What do you want? You want the sugar. I didn't believe it, but it's true. And so the pendulum came back into the middle. And what just happened was I just started to listen to my body. Like the chatter in your brain about all the things you should and shouldn't eat, you should and shouldn't eat. All of a sudden that chatter quiets down and you actually start to pay attention to the cravings you have in your body. And best believe, your cravings are not just always celery with low-fat ranch dressing. That is not what you always crave. Sometimes you crave bread. Sometimes you crave butter. Sometimes you crave kale. I crave kale a lot. Uh, Sometimes you crave cookies, right? So like, when you start to listen to your body, you realize that your body needs and wants of many different things. And it's not this thing that is unsatiated, right? When you actually give your body what it is that it's asking for, believe me, it feels very satiated. And my sweet tooth, not that this is the goal, so I want to say this um, with a disclaimer, the goal is not to want more kale. Like, that's not the goal. I'm just telling you what my experience has been, is that I don't crave sugar as much. And I'm not saying that because, oh, look at me, I'm so good because I eat sugar less. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is I used to think that I could not that I could not control myself around this certain kind of food, that I was addicted to this certain kind of food. But really what it was was that in not allowing myself to ever have it, it just increased the desire to have it more and more and more. And that's what caught and now now, and I never thought I would reach this day. Now food is neutral to me. I heard this on the podcast. I was like, no freaking way. There's no way people eat stuff without thinking about it, without being like, oh, you know, I don't know, calories, whatever, right? No, now I never, I'm telling you, I never thought I was going to make it here. Now I eat a thing because I want to and there's no afterthought. And it is the most liberating thing ever. And I never thought I'd get here. And that was my goal. There's no negative. I mean, I can't, I'd be lying to you if I told you that it doesn't come up for me sometimes still. Of course it does. And especially during this quarantine. I'm so grateful for this, for this journey because not only have I 
really dramatically healed my relationship to food, but I've also dramatically healed my relationship to movement. And I also, again, want to say this is my personal journey. This is not the journey for other people. So if this doesn't resonate with you, you know, that's okay. But for me, I used to only move for the purpose of burning calories. That was the sole purpose of doing any movement. And if it was, if I wasn't going to break a sweat, then what was the point? But now, after healing my relationship to food and movement, I actually realize that I genuinely enjoy movement for the sake of movement. That I, I am someone, and this isn't the case for everyone, and that is okay, but I personally enjoy moving my body. Like, I enjoy going for a run. I used to run just to lose weight, but now I am that annoying person who runs to relieve stress. <laughs> um, I like running. And I also, like yesterday, the other day when I went to go like kick the soccer ball around, I, I felt those diet culture thoughts come up again, where I was like, oh, I should be doing some drills so that I can sweat more and get more of a workout out of this juggling practice. But I caught myself saying those thoughts to me. And I was like, wait, Genesis, you came outside to juggle the ball just to juggle the ball because you enjoy kicking the ball around. And I'm, I'm so happy that I was able to catch those thoughts because otherwise I would have started doing random jumping jacks and push-ups and being like, oh, I should take advantage of this time to, to burn more calories and sweat more and blah, blah, blah. But I just, I kind of let those thoughts go and I continue to, to play with the ball and enjoy it just for the sake of enjoying. And soccer is probably one of the only things I do very much solely just for the fun of it, just because I really love, I really love playing soccer. So yeah, so I just want to let all of y'all know who spent the time here listening to me and my poem. I just want you all to know that if you, if any of this resonated with you, like I'm with you, I'm happy to be here for you. If you need someone to talk through about anything you might be struggling with, but that know that you're not alone and that it is really hard. It is really hard, but I can't tell you how free I feel not having to think about my body and what I look like every single day in the way that I did for 13 years of my life. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that I was able to uh, do it now. I'm still quite young. I'm still 26, but I'm only 26. And I'm glad that I was able to do it now and not wait until I was 50 or older to finally be like, okay, I'm going to accept my body. So I accept my body now. I still have days where I don't love it. But the point is just to be okay with it and respect my body and stop hating on it so much every single day. That is the goal. My goal is to just accept my body and and find joy in what it looks like and what it has done for me thus far and all that. So thank you all so much for being here. I'll see you in a few seconds so we can answer some questions. So everyone, that is it. I did go on to have a question and answer session after I finished my live. And if you missed that question and answer session, well, I guess you'll just have to join me for the next live one to get your answer, your question answered. Thank you again for listening to me. I hope that my podcast helped either teach you something new or if there's anything or anyone that you thought of while listening to my poem or my podcast and would like to share it with them, please do. I hope that my story is relatable enough to reach all sorts of people, no matter where they are in their journey. Thanks again. I'm so excited to be do my next unplugged episode, whenever that may be. But until then, y'all, balance, balance. Ciao.